So I'm excited to be able to share the Word of God with you again this morning. This is week five of a series we've been doing entitled The Best Course. And it's based from 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32, where David is talking about David's team, his army, and, and, and his entire team. That was uh, his, his supportive team. And in 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 32, it talks about uh, the tribe of Issachar and how there was 200 leaders and their families from that particular tribe, and they all understood the signs of the times. And I think that's very relevant for us today and also important for us to be able to be understanding of the signs of the times that we are living in in this hour that we are living. So not only did they know the signs of the times, they also knew the best course for Israel to take. So it's one thing to know what's going on, but then okay, and, and be aware of your environment around you, but now how do I navigate this environment that I'm in? How do I make the best decision? How do I choose the best course? And so that's what we've been talking about over the past several weeks. In Ephesians 5.17, we've um, focused on that quite a bit as well. We're, we're told not to act thoughtlessly. So we shouldn't just be thoughtless, we shouldn't just uh, be care, uh, uh, to be uh, careless, but we're to be careful to pay close attention to the times that we're in and, 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 and discerning the best course for us to take in our lives on a personal level, uh, on a church level, the community level, that we always are making the best decisions. We're not acting thoughtlessly, but we're understanding what the Lord wants us to do understanding what he wants us to do. You know, the, the scriptures give us uh, the general guidance for our lives. The will of God is made known in the word of God, but there's also specific guidance for your personal life. Now, the specific guidance will always, it won't be in conflict with the written word of God, with scripture, but for example, uh, let's say you're, you're making a decision, you might be deciding, okay, what school am I supposed to be going to? Well, it's not spelled out in here that I shall go to uh, Penn State. The only thing it says in here is I shall not go to Notre Dame. That's the only thing I can, <laughs> that's the only thing I could ever find. And we just lost our camera person in the back there, but... <laughs> But nonetheless, I think that's in the Bible somewhere, but I, I'm getting pushed back on that. So perhaps that may not be in there. But deciding what school to go to, some people say, well, gee, how would I know who I'm supposed to marry? You'll know. You'll know. And if you have any doubts about it, just that means you don't know yet. So don't get married yet, all right? Uh, what house am I supposed to purchase? That type of thing. Uh, it's just, you know, those are things where it, it's specific guidance. The Holy Spirit will, light, will lead you in those areas as well, and he will reveal those specific things for you. So you can know specific things uh, for your own life personally, and that's especially in Ephesians talks about that, you know, not, not being ignorant, not be drunk on wine, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. So be in tune with what God has in store for you uh, by being filled with the Holy Spirit and allow him to, to lead you, guide you, and direct you, and to be developing an ability to hear and to discern God's voice for you concerning the specific areas of guidance in your life. Then we looked at Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. We started in there last week, and that's where it tells us that uh, this is what the Lord requires of you. In case you still can't hear from God, okay, this is what he wants you to do. He wants you to do what is right. That's pretty broad. He's really talking about justice, to be equitable, to do the right thing. 
Number one, do the right thing. Number two, he wants you to love mercy. We talked about that last week. We used the, the, the example of Jonah, uh, how uh, he needed to learn that lesson and being merciful towards the people of Nineveh who were his arch enemies. And God wanted him to go there and, and to share the, the, the message of God to those people. And Jonah didn't want to do that because he was not feeling merciful toward them. He was, uh, matter of fact, uh, he did not like them. Uh, he did not only hate their sin, he hated them as people, but yet God wanted to have mercy towards them. And that's the lesson that we need to learn as well, that God prefers mercy over judgment. And we also need to develop a heart of mercy over judgment. And we, that's just something that we need to develop. Whenever we're feeling like we'd rather have judgment come down on someone rather than mercy, then we're not on the right course. And so we must always love mercy. And then number three, we are to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. So we're going to be focusing on number three today, on walking humbly with our God. It's being the best course for us to take is that course of humility, a course of humility. So people sometimes ask me about preparing messages and what's hard to preach, what's not hard to preach. I just want to tell you right up front, this is going to be my easiest message ever because I really do this well. <laughs> and it's really hard to be humble when you're this good. So here we go, all right? <laughs> this lesson is for me today as well as it is for all of us. So, humility is defined as, as being unpretentious to make modest. It also can be referred to as, a, it also could be defined as um, being willing to yield and to be teachable. It is the exact opposite of being prideful. The exact opposite of being prideful. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, we're told not to think that we are better, not think of ourselves better than what we are, but to be honest in, in the, the evaluation of ourselves. But I also want you to know that when we're talking about humility, it's, it's not thinking less of ourselves. It's our willingness to acknowledge God as the source of our talent. To acknowledge God as the source of the wisdom that you have and, and the resources that you have. Give God the glory for it. Don't be boastful about what great what talent you have in whatever area that may be in, but to give glory to God for it and, and thank God and to always recognize that I, I, I have this talent, I have this wisdom, and I have these resources, but only by the grace of God. I am what I am and I have what I have. So give God the glory for it. So that's humility. And then also grace would be defined as uh, God's favor and ability that's always working in you, enabling you to do what you cannot do in your own power. So we're going to be reading from the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. I want to encourage you to follow along whatever method you choose to do that. Uh, those of you watching with us online, we welcome you uh, with us today. I encourage you to read along with us as well. James, chapter 4 beginning reading at verse 1. It says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want and do not have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. 
You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Verse 5. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say the spirit of God has placed the spirit that God has placed within us is filled with envy. Now, a better interpretation that would be, let me read from the marginal reference of my Bible here in verse 5. It says, or that God longs jealously for the human spirit he has placed within us. As God has placed the spirit within us and he has a longing, a jealousy, he wants our undivided attention. He doesn't want it divided with the world. Verse 6, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires as were just listed in verses 1 through 5. The warring, the infighting, the praying and not getting because we're asking with wrong motives. Says, but God gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So, Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So in verse 6, Mark tells us that, but he gives us uh, more grace to stand against such evil desires. He tells us that God opposes the proud, but, gives, uh, but favors the humble. I want you to focus for a moment that, but he gives us more grace to stand. What's happening here is James here in verse 6 is offering a lifeline uh, to those that are sinking in pride and selfishness as defined in verses 1 through 5, which basically can be summed up as being reckless, being arrogant, or being indifferent toward God and toward one another. But there's a lifeline for that. If we find ourselves feeling stuck, feeling selfish, feeling prideful, uh, perhaps even being reckless in our, in our walk with God, or being arrogant and indifferent towards God and the ways of God, or arrogant and indifferent towards God's people or towards all people, not being merciful toward them, we know that uh, James is saying, here, here's a lifeline. Here's how we can get out of this. Here's how we can humble ourselves and get back on the right course with God. So verse 7, when it says, so humble yourselves before God, this is opening up, this is uh, opening a series of imperatives that are built on the foundation of verse 6, where God is, is providing us with grace and favor to get us out of the quagmire that we are in. So he's giving us that lifeline, and, and, and the imperatives are, number one is found in verse 7, it says, humble yourselves Humble yourselves. It's important that you recognize that the responsibility of being humble is your responsibility. 
Many times uh, you, may have, you may have heard uh, teachers of the word uh, make a statement about God will humble you or you need God to humble you. Or sometimes you hear people say it in, in conversation, just I just need a good dose of, uh, I, I just need God to give me a good dose of humility. It's not God's responsibility to humble you and God's not in the business of humbling you. God's in the business of extending you grace and extending favor toward you and to lift you up as a person of honor. It's your responsibility. Everyone say, it's mine. It's your responsibility to humble yourselves, to humble yourselves before God. And so the first imperative is you humble yourself before God. And true humility will always lead to an obedience and a willingness to yield to, to God's will and God's directions for your life, it will always lead to that, uh, that I have a willingness, I'm going to yield to it, I'm humbling myself to the will of God for my life. The number two imperative is in the same verse there, we're told, resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will what? He will flee from you. So it doesn't sound like you need to be afraid of him. He will flee. It's a promise of God's word that if you humble yourself unto the Lord, resist the devil, he will flee from you. That, that, when, you when you're resisting the devil, you're resisting any uh, fruit of the kingdom of darkness. Any manifestation of the kingdom of darkness, you resist it and it will, he will flee from you. Any manifestation that he has to offer. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, is a great passage there on, on spiritual warfare and having, but it begins before it talks about getting dressed in the full armor of God. Prior to that, it says, having done everything to stand, stand therefore. Having done everything to stand, stand. Too many times we try to stand, but we haven't done everything to stand. You say, what is everything to stand? Humble yourself before God. Yield to the wisdom of God. Yield to the mercy of God. Yield to the uh, loving favor of God. Yield to the commands of God's word. You do everything to stand, and then you stand. And then you'll be standing after the battle's over. So resist the devil, he will flee from you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, we're instructed, uh, I think it's around verses 3 and 4, to bring every thought into captivity. That's resisting the devil. When carnal thoughts cross into your mind, where thoughts of envy, jealousy, bitterness, anger, resentment, when they come into our minds, it's, 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 it's our responsibility to immediately take it captive and resist it, bring it into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's having done everything to stand. So we are, first imperative is humble yourself. Second one is resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number three is found in verse eight. It says, come close to God and he will come close to you. Coming close to God, that, that language there is a picture of reorientation. Now, you've been disoriented. You've gotten off course. Well, that's, you know, don't stay off course. Be willing to submit yourself to God. Admit that you've, you know, I'm, I'm straight off the, the path that you have for me. I, I'm straight off the path of righteousness. But I'm reorientation. I'm reorienting myself back to you, God, and to your purposes for my life. You recognize you're off course. 
Don't deny it. Get back on course. Repent and get back on course with God. And then number four, also there in verse eight, after we come close to God and God will come close to you, it says, wash your hands, you sinners. Wash your hands, you sinners. That's a, that's a picture and typology of a outward acts of sin. Things that we do outwardly that are not pleasing to God and they're not edifying and they're not encouraging one another. And then, then, then of course, it's followed up by the fifth one, which is purify your hearts Purify your hearts. That's the inner, talking about the inner disposition. That's attitudinal stuff that I know that's in here, and I know it's not right. You may not know it. You may not see it yet. It hasn't manifested yet, but I know it's in here, and I know I'm, not, I know I'm thinking ill of you. I'm not thinking good of you. Purify your hearts. You know it's not a right thought. You know it's not a right attitude. You know you're not thinking right about other people or whatever it may be. Purify your hearts. But notice these are things that, we're, that we are responsible for doing. We are to humble ourselves. We are to resist the devil. We are to reorient ourselves by drawing close to God, a reorientation. We are to be washing our hands and purifying our hearts. Purifying our hearts. And so it's something that uh, we have the responsibility of doing, but we also have the grace of God to do it, because in verse 6, he, he told us here, he said, God gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. So don't be discouraged thinking, my gosh, I have so much work to do. My hands need to be washed. My heart needs to be purified. I need to reorient myself with God. I am such a loser. You know, uh, and, uh, no, no, you're not. You're just, you're just a commitment away from having absolute Complete victory in Jesus' name. Reorient yourself, come back to God, and re receive the grace to stain against all such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud. Don't be too proud to repent. Don't be too proud to admit that, hey, I've gotten off course. I need to reorient myself. I'm confused. I don't understand. Well, don't stay in that. And don't allow yourself to, 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 to be bogged down in that confusion by feeling guilty because you're off course and, and it, it, you know, things just get worse from there. But be quick. Reorient yourself. God wants to favor you with great grace to those who are humble and admit and come back to God. Number six here in, in the... In the imperatives, after we purify our hearts, that inner disposition, then number six begins in verse nine. It says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. I admit to you, I used to read that verse for years. I'd read that verse and I'm thinking that verse doesn't belong in there. So that just doesn't fit. You know, we, you know, especially during the charismatic days when we sing the songs of the joy of the Lord is my strength and we wave our hankies and our flags and have our charismatic two-step dance and, you know, and have all our joy to the Lord songs. And I'm thinking, you know, we're, it's, it's, this is supposed to be a joyful relationship. So how does this verse fit in here? How does this verse, to me, it never made any sense that we're supposed to be tears, there's supposed to be sorrow, it's supposed to be deep grief, sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. I came out of that. 
I got born again. I came out of that. Been there, done that, and left that. Now here, felt like I was being told I need to go back to that. And it was in conflict with scriptures in, in the Gospel of John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about, uh, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I like that much better. But Jesus is saying, I've spoken these things to you that my joy, the joy of Jesus, may be in you. The joy of Jesus. So what James is saying here is he said, is that uh, he reminds his audience, James, in, in, in urging the tears, the, the lament, the mourning, and the sadness, he's reminding his audience that the false course of pride that they thought would lead to joy and laughter are dead-end streets and they need to be abandoned. Basically, you're on the wrong course. He's, this is talking to people that are on the wrong course. This is the people that he's talking about in verses uh, 1 through 5, the people that are jealous of what others have and, and you can't get it. And so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because uh, you, you didn't ask for it. Even when you do ask for it, you don't get it because you're asking with the wrong motives. Now, you don't have to raise your hand and say, you know, that's talking about me, but uh, nonetheless, I'll spare you that. But just know that God, again, in his graciousness, in his mercy, is throwing all of us a lifeline and saying, here, stop sinking in this world of pride, in this ungodly quagmire that you are in. It's not healthy. You're not hiding it nearly as well as you think you're hiding it. Everybody knows it but yourself that your attitude stinks, and, uh, but uh, God knows it, the Holy Spirit knows it, and, and, and God in his great grace, who is rich in mercy, and in his great grace is throwing us a lifeline, and he wants to favor you and to grace you as you humble yourself unto the Lord. So let's be willing to always humble ourselves unto the Lord and, and to draw on his mercy and on his grace and not, not, not just dig in our heels and thinking, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be all right. I can work myself out of this. I got myself in this mess. I can get myself out of this mess. Uh, well, if you want to believe that, you may, but there's a better way. Everyone say there's a better way. And it's simply told leaning in on Jesus, humbling ourselves under the hand of God, and God will grace you with an ability. Grace is God's ability for us to do things that we can't imagine that are even possible to do. You can't imagine loving some people. Perhaps you were here and you can't imagine forgiving someone that God is speaking to you about forgiving. And whatever it may be that God's speaking to you about, and it just seems insurmountable. Even when I, the exhortation in, about giving this morning of tithes and offerings, you know, some people, you're stuck. You think, I, I just can't get there, Pastor Ray. I hear you talking about tithes and offerings, and I, I see it, and I, I feel convicted, but I just, I, I just can't get there. I don't know how, it's gonna, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. The grace of God takes that obedience, and he provides for you supernaturally. He favors you with great favor, and God will always keep his promises toward you. You forgive us. You are supposed to be forgiven. God gives you grace to do that. I can't do it. In ourselves, we can't do it, but by the grace of God, we can do what God wants us to do. If you missed last week, I encourage you to listen to it. 
about Jonah, how he was to extend, he was also supposed to be merciful and gracious to his arch rivals, the very people that were persecuting and, and just being cruel to the nation of Israel. God's in here, extend mercy. In the book of Acts chapter 10, Peter has a similar experience where the Holy Spirit is telling him to go to the Gentiles and, and to share this message of grace with them. And Peter, not so, Lord, no way, no way. I have never done that. I'm not about to do that. And finally, he was persuaded to go because of the vision from heaven. And then when he did go, the rest of the religious people put him on trial for it, gave him a hard time about it. Said, what are you doing sharing this good news that God has given us? You're sharing it with Gentile people. But anyway, it took some time for that to be accepted. It may take you some time to, to accept this, but really press in and say, God, I, I humbly come to you and I yield to you. In my mind, it doesn't make sense. In my heart, it hurts way too much. I'm confused. Why should I be the first one? Why should I be the one to take the first step in reconciling this relationship? Would well, you ever think about asking yourself, why not me first? Why not, God? Okay, yay, God, let's go do this together. Give me the grace, give me the strength, give me the courage. We can get this taken care of. Partnership with God, a reorientation to God. Then in verse 10, here in uh, James chapter 4, it, it concludes again, it's bookends, and it opens up with humble yourself in verse, the imperatives. It begins in verse 7, humble yourself before God. Then again in verse 10, humble yourself, yourselves before God. He God will lift you up in honor. God will honor you. God will make right for you. God will sustain you. God will heal you. God will protect you. God will be your provider. So be willing to take the step of humility. I want to close by reading another portion of scripture. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, I'm just going to, it's 11 verses, I encourage you to read along, beginning at verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender, tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So here's our role model. Are you ready? Here's your example. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Here we go. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Sometimes people have a hard time being humble to a subordinate because they think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the boss, I'm in position, I'm in authority, I'm this and I'm that. Well, be willing to humble yourself. Verse 7, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble 
position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God highly elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is your example. Don't look to someone else to go first. Jesus is your example. He already went first. He was, in, he was in heaven with God the Father, one with him, but he didn't cling to that equality. He was willing to, he was willing to lay it down to win your heart. Are we willing to humble ourselves to God and have the favor of God grace our lives so that our best interest is for the best of the other individual? As a result of Jesus' obedience, being willing to be obedient even to the point of the cross, dying a criminal's death on the cross, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. We read in James where as you humble ourselves, God resists the pride, the proud, but he gives grace and favor to the humble. God wants to grace you. He wants to favor you. And then when it, uh, the last couple of verses here, that, that every, every knee should bow to the name of Jesus. Verse 11 says, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you have never, you're here in the auditorium with us this morning, or perhaps you're with us online right now, and you have never, ever confessed the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, meaning you never accepted the work that he's done, the criminal death that he died at Calvary's cross. When you acknowledge that and you confess that name, God graces you with favor. He lifts you up. He exalts you. You become a brand new person. So I want to give you a moment just to think about that for a moment. If you never have done this, I want to encourage you. There's no better time than right now, this very moment to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Don't be too proud. Humble yourself and say, you know what? I'm not the Lord of my own life. I'm not my own God. I need, I need to be born again. I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I desire to receive the gift of eternal life. So that's speaking to you this morning. We're all gonna just make this, uh, this declaration together. You make this declaration. You believe this in your heart. You declare this together. What's going to happen is you're going to be exalted. You're going to be lifted up as a new person and your past is forgiven. So let's pray this. Say, Heavenly Father, I decide today to humble myself and to call upon the name of Jesus. For I believe that Jesus humbled himself and went to the cross and died a criminal's death on my behalf. I thank you for that. I receive that today as my, I receive him today as my Lord and my Savior.
I confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, my heavenly Father. Thank you for new life from this moment on. Amen. Amen.